Psychology in Seattle. So, Umberto, we got an email from a listener, a patron, who considers himself to be a pedophile. Okay. And he wanted us to read his story and uh, talk about it. Heavy. So what do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkana. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I am learning how to play the flute. So this, uh, and actually, he wanted me to use his name because he wants people to not be afraid to tell their story. So patron Alexi says, uh, let's see, I'm a Scandinavian guy in my mid-20s. Okay. When I was a teenager, I realized that I'm attracted to children much younger than me, mostly to boys between the ages of 2 and 16, but also girls between 6 and 12 years old. I am an only child, so then he wants to give background. So he let off with that. Right. I I realize that you know I am sexually attracted to young children from two to about sixteen years old. Right. I'm an only child, and I was raised by love. Oh, by the way, trigger alert! If this alert. sort of thing is going to concern you, so be careful. I'm an only child, and was raised by loving parents. My childhood was, in many aspects, very idyllic, although I was quite shy and didn't have too many friends. In my early adolescence, I began suffering from symptoms of body dysmorphic disorder, which made my life, and especially, which made my life, and especially going to school, emotionally unbearable at times. Being nervous and shy uh, made me an easy target for bullies. I began to hate myself. And by the way, this is a long email, Berta, so if you want to chime in at any time, just feel free to do so. As a teenager, I had a girlfriend for a short while, but it didn't feel comfortable, and I ended the relationship. Um, I began using a lot of regular porn to treat my self-hatred and depression and quickly became addicted. I also began noticing my feelings for the same sex. So just chiming in here there's a lot of different uh shall we say complications to the way he was raised one is that he was bullied yeah two he had body dysmorphic disorder three he hated himself uh four he was shy and didn't have many friends five he uh became addicted to porn he developed that as a way of coping I wonder what addicted means in this case. Yeah, hard to know. But I got the impression that it meant that he would watch and masturbate often. Uh Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he would do it as a way of sort of escaping or dealing with his feelings or um, it just became, you know, a lot of his energy was into porn and masturbation. And he also was emerging as as a gay young person. And that's going to complicate things as well. All right. Uh, and, it, and it seems like it was bisexual feelings, right? Like he he was also interested in... No, I think... I've, I mean, he dated women. Yeah. But I think he started realizing, um, I don't think I'm actually heterosexual. Oh, okay. Because he mentioned he was also interested in females that were younger. Well, so so that's a good question or point to bring up is that how do we classify these things? Because in his for his adult relationships, I think he uh, definitely prefers only to be with men. I see. 
but his pedophilia seems to be mainly towards young boys and also towards some young girls. And so how do we classify that? You know, do we sure. say he's bisexual or do we say he's homosexual, he's gay and he but his and his um and to me I find it to be kind of weird that we even distinguish such things because it's not, you know, uh, what does it matter, the gender of the victim? Like even in the DSM, they have this. It's part of the classification. You know, it's like a pedophilic disorder with attraction to males, with attraction to females, or with attraction to both. And one, what about trans people? Um, But two, what does it matter? I mean, what if a pedophile – really preferred tall children as opposed to small children or black children as opposed to white children. Like, why do we need to include that in the diagnostics? Uh, It's certainly interesting, I suppose, but really the overarching thing here is pedophilia. And a lot of times in the past, I think they would associate, it's like, um, and and I could be wrong about this, obviously, but I would speculate the vibe I got from people was that if you had a pedophile who was attracted to someone, if you had a pedophilic man who was attracted to little girls, then it'd be like, oh, he just has this slight sort of problem here of like he likes girls and he wants he want, or maybe twelve year old girls. There's a slight problem there, but if he likes little boys, then whoa, that's right. really weird because not only do you like you know, and of course that's ridiculous. Why do we have to rank these in terms of the? the level of dysfunction or something, anytime that you're attracted to kids, doesn't matter the gender, right. uh, it's going to be an issue. Yeah, I was thinking more in terms of, let's say someone kills people uh, and they do so, uh, you know, like uh, they, they have sex and then kill them and they don't have any normal relationships with anyone else. And then you ask like, is it just women or is it just men? And it's like, well, it turns out it's just women. And then you'd probably be like, well, I guess that person is um, not, you know, it's not homosexual, cause, but but it doesn't change that they're killing these people. Right. It's just sort of like another data point. You know? Right. But I feel like, especially yeah. in the past, it was like, whoa, double right. dysfunction or something. It's like, right. what? All right. Going back to his email. As a teenager, my first longtime relationship was with a guy who was older than me. So, again, another complication here. Right. One time he showed me his pictures from childhood. Looking at them made me feel a strong infatuation, but I just ignored the feeling and pushed it aside. I also began noticing young boys on social media, and I felt the same kind of attraction, but I didn't realize what it meant. Hmm. When I was about 17 years old, I met someone much older than me online who began grooming me and sending me sexual pictures of children. It turned me on way more than anything I'd ever seen. Initially, I didn't feel bad for liking the pictures he sent me. It was really intoxicating to talk to someone who liked the same things as I did, these pictures of young people. I was lonely and didn't know of any other way to deal with my feelings. I realized that at the time, uh, I realized that I am a pedophile. And at that point, I began to sink deeper into self-hatred and depression. Huh. Uh, so, wow. ju- so just chiming in here, uh, one, this is an interesting sort of story to hear about, about right. how one sort of discovers this about themselves and how, how much he hated himself for it and how, depre- how, how demoralizing. Right. I mean, just can you imagine just like, wait a second, you know, I'm attracted to young kids. Like that is awful yeah. for so many reasons. So, so the, the only um, 
the only feeling I can sort of relate to is uh, I used to have these dreams where in my dream I had killed someone a long time ago and I I had sort of forgotten about it. But in the dream, something was happening where this was going to be found out or it could be found out. And so I had this like intense feeling in the dream itself of like, I can't believe, what did I do? What am I going to do now? You know, like, it was like this guilt and like this regret and like feeling of doom and like, you know, and and it was all, of course, in my head, in my dream, but the feeling was absolutely real. And I would wake up from those dreams like, oh my God, you know, feeling so like drained and devastated. Right. Okay. Going on with the email here. Then the man got arrested. So the man who shared with, you know, with him the child born. Right, right, right. Then the man got arrested. I panicked and I deleted everything from my computer. Then I tried to continue my life. I had been seeing a therapist for a while for my other problems, and I told him about the encounter with the police and what it was all about. But he couldn't give me much advice or support. Ugh. So just chiming in here, it's very, it doesn't surprise me at all that his therapist was like that. Wow. Um, therapists are not trained at all in general to help a a pedophile out with right. what's happening that uh, very few therapists have even the slightest notion of what they're supposed to do in fact most of them probably have heard bad information um, like you need to report them to the police or something mm-hmm. and in some jurisdictions actually they have laws or at least court precedent where it's kind of that way which is ridiculous but um, I mean not that we shouldn't be concerned with child safety. We should, right. but we also need to help people. And, and if if all therapists reject pedophiles, then where do pedophiles go? Um, so you know, we we need to actually. A lot of them are looking for help, and they don't want to offend. Right. And we're one of the people that should be a place where they could go to and talk confidential confidentially about what's happening. Um, one day, the police came to my house and took my computer. I was interviewed by the police and was told that they had found traces of child porn. I felt like my life was over. The whole thing felt like a surreal nightmare. While waiting for my court date, I felt alone and increasingly suicidal. When my court date arrived, I was scared to death and felt like a monster. Fortunately, I ended up only getting a fine, and that makes me one of the lucky ones. So just chiming in here. Um, That's surprising. Yeah, well... You know, depending on the offense and oh, okay. the level of, and his age too, maybe that was a factor, um, or whatever sort of excuse he had. Like I was looking at a lot of porn, and right, right, that right. sort of got downloaded or something. Um, the the other issue here, because some people might be thinking, what are we? You know, what is our position? Is that with child porn, it is uh, generally accepted, and I go along with this that it's immoral to consume or look at child porn because children are being harmed in the process of the production of that image. Um, And, but one could argue that, and some pedophiles actually do that some child porn is actually um, involved. Like there, it's like picture. It's just (laughs) like, like a drawing or something. Uh And in those instances, no child is, is like anti drawings and stuff. Yeah. Um, or 
that some images aren't actually derived by porn or exploitation of the child, like like it's a an ad for a child bathing suit that's in a sure. J.C. Penney catalog or something. And what they'll argue is like you know those children weren't harmed in the process of you know like if I uh, you know someone's saying this they're like look when I go on the internet I will look for porn with about you know celebrities in bikinis let's just say mm-hmm. and or celebrity you know males in their tight uh, banana hammocks um, when they wore their banana hammock to the beach uh, you know Leo DiCaprio and someone took a picture of them, they probably weren't wanting people to uh, masturbate to that. Sure. But they weren't harmed, and they went fully willingly into public, and I'm at home, and I'm not harming them. I'm never, I'm never going to tell them that this is what's happening. So, you know, is that is that harm? Berto, what do you think? So it's, it's tricky. Um, one thing that comes to mind is this. Back in the early 2000s, I got into many arguments, debates with... Uh, friends of mine because they were you know they would do drugs and they would buy drugs from this place or that place <coughs> and um, I would say you know what um, this is really not great for my country uh, my origin country of Colombia because over there like people are dying left and right because you know there is this illegal drug trade and I remember the arguments were well yeah but I mean First of all, I'm not buying anything from Colombia or something. And, and also, uh, I mean, these things are going to get sold anyways. And also, uh, you know, like, I, yeah, I agree they should be legal, but they're not. So, you know, like. Right. So but, to, but, to but, put but, a fine point <laughs> on it, maybe people don't understand the nuances, is that when an American buys cocaine uh, from their drug dealer, they are. Uh, the money goes to the drug dealer. The drug dealer's money, it goes to some wholesaler, essentially. Right. The wholesaler goes to some distributor. And that distributor is uh, Colombian, maybe, or works with the Colombians. Right. And then so that money trickles up, and, and every dollar an American spends on cocaine, it gives money and power to a drug cartel in Colombia. And that person... Uh, is at odds with the Colombian government, and the Colombian government is trying to get rid of the drug cartels in Colombia. And every dollar an American spends is basically giving power to murderers and uh, other sorts of criminals who are actually oppressing and destroying the economy and murdering innocent people by... And children. (laughs) And and children. Yeah. Uh, either maliciously or by accident of bullets flying everywhere. And so when you're talking to your friend, you're like, when you buy that, you are actually part of the problem right. in my home country where right. my relatives still live. So I actually morally oppose the fact that that you're doing that. Yeah, and in, in a less heavy sense, I also had similar debates about uh, copied music back in the early... These were debates in the early 2000s because I would... I would buy my CDs and then a few of my friends would have just they, – they had started their MP3 farms and they would just have like everything they could with get their hands on. And and Napster and, and Kazaa. And I would have similar arguments and I realized this is nowhere near as impactful as drug trade. But it was – you know, I was saying, you know, I mean someone made that and blah, blah. Yeah, but the money doesn't really go to the artist. It goes to the to the record – the awful record companies and – 
blah, blah, blah. And you know what? If they want to charge me $15 for CD, they should make better content and blah, blah. And, and I've heard these arguments over and over. So this, this is part of why some of this rings false to me. Like, uh, I think, sure, technically speaking, a child that, whose photo was taken for some ad in some magazine, they weren't part of the overall child trade and, and slavery and oppression and exploitation in that sense. Um, but I do think that the, the practice of seeking that out and then seeking all the an- ancillary things and the, the halo effect of that does keep fueling suppliers of even more actually damaging uh, materials. and Halo people, effect? What do you mean? Meaning that you're part of an industry at that point. It's similar to to all these other examples. We're like, sure, okay, maybe you have some ethical code or something where you only search for certain kind of photos online. Okay, fine. But but the general idea is that, you know, you are a consumer of images that are sexualized of young people. And then, and then that is why that industry exists. That is why kids get kidnapped and that's why kids get abused and why their photos and videos are taken. And it's because there are consumers. If there were no consumers of this stuff, you wouldn't have that same problem. Yeah, so another thing that, and I don't know the answer to this, honestly, but the other thing that they'll say is, well, in regular adult porn, you have some of it is produced through illegal means of slavery of individuals, coercion of individuals who are being exploited. Not all adult porn is is like that. In fact, I, I don't know you know what the research shows but i would say a, mi- a minority of it is produced that way because there's plenty of money to be made and sure and willing people who actually like that kind of job to be a pornography person um but there's still some of that out there and so if you're going to participate in the consumption of porn in some ways you're creating this as you say market that uh also includes exploitation yep. of humans, does that mean that no one should be looking at porn? It is a matter of gray zones, but I would I would venture to bet that the percentage, well, okay, literally speaking, the percentage of underage porn that is not legal is 100% <laughs> and is acquired all of it via nefarious means. But I, I the, think some child, quote-unquote child porn, is not illegal, like... I think in some jurisdictions, again, I'm not an expert, some depict like drawings or cartoons. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking about actual actual child. I, I was just making a distinction between like, because, you know, you could expand the same thing with drawings of, you know, women getting hit, but it's just a drawing and stuff like that. So you, I, I get it that you can make the same argument. I'm just, I'm just thinking through that if we're talking about actual photos and videos of real life human beings – a hundred percent of the underage ones are wrong and right. illegal. Yeah. Whereas some percentage, and it's probably larger than we'd like to think, of the other ones. And so I'm actually not saying definitively, oh no, supporting porn industry in general is great. Just not. I, I agree. There are problematic things with all of this. There's problematic things with with prostitution and with uh, a lot of it has to do with with how we actually handle it as a society. But inevitably, yeah, it leads to bad actors. Um, I just think that it's exacerbated with some things like illegal drugs and uh, 
child porn and, and a few other things. So I guess in general, I would say if you looking at pictures of underage kids in, in, in underwear or pajamas or whatever, if that helps keep your desires satiated, well, that's actually great. That sounds fantastic. Um, I, I hope that doesn't get back to those kids or families that you're fine, but it's, you know, if on the other hand that escalates and then now you're participating in the actual industry where these are real kids being abused and harmed, then, you know, that that's unfortunately not, in my mind, not, not cool. Not yeah, cool. obviously. Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, is what's the research on that and what's the individual variation on that? By looking at these, shall we say, non-harmful images of children uh, and or say a drawing, let's just say a drawing. Like let's say you you drew a picture right. of some random child uh, in a situation and you never share it with anyone and you're just looking at By you looking at that picture, does that lead you to not a, less likely to harm another human being or does it actually increase your likelihood or, or somewhere in between? That is an important distinction. Okay, getting back to the – but before we go on to the email, which is we're at, we're at the very beginning, let's take a break. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. In this episode, I'm reading an email that patron Alexi sent in asking us to read about his experiences as uh, he he emerged in his understanding that he was a pedophile, meaning he, he discovered, whoa, I'm actually sexually attracted to children. <clears throat> okay, so he had his computer confiscated by the police. <coughs> they, uh, they just fined him and released him. And he says, after the court appearance... After the court experience, I tried to continue my life, but my anxiety was becoming more difficult to deal with. I was scared that someone would find out about me and they would hurt me. As a, as a result, my addiction to porn escalated. Oh, no. I tried to stop but couldn't, and it became a vicious cycle of self-hatred and self-medication with porn. I drowned my feelings with work, alcohol, and porn. My relationship was falling apart with a fella that I was in a relationship with because of my sexual problems we had. One time after an argument, my boyfriend asked me if I was attracted to kids, but I panicked and said no. I just kept making excuses for why it was so difficult for me. I was in love with him, but not attracted to him sexually. I was madly attracted to kids around me and had some painful crushes, but I knew I could never act on my attraction. I began isolating myself. <clears throat> a few years ago, I completely burned out of work and in life generally. My relationship was close to ending and I had no idea what I should do. For years, I had known that I needed help, but I was too scared and paranoid to even Google it. Everything pedophilia related I had ever seen in the media and on the internet was about crime. Eventually, I realized I had to overcome my fear of seeking help. I began searching for resources and didn't find much. However, I did find a support forum for anti-contact pedophiles called virtuous pedophiles and gathered enough in, and gathered enough courage to join. For the first time in my life, I experienced how 
how it is like to be able to relate to people who share the same attraction and the same ideology of not wanting to hurt children. Mm. It's hard to describe how amazing that feeling is. I spent hours reading people's stories and cried with joy. People wrote that it's possible to live a happy life without hurting anyone, and that was all I needed to hear in that moment. Wow. I kept Googling for more resources and found a therapist who listed pedophilia on his website. Despite this, I felt so paranoid that when I called him, I used a prepaid SIM card and a Mm. fake name. I spent most of the first phone session being really emotional and struggling to talk about my feelings aloud because I had never really done that before. We agreed to meet and I traveled to see him. I still use a fake name. The first sessions were very, were very difficult for me, but over, but over time I began healing from the chronic self-hatred and hopelessness I had been feeling since I was a child. Wow. I finally had the resources and the support to begin working on my addictions, and over time I've been able to replace my unhealthy coping methods with healthier ones. One of the hardest things I have ever done was coming out to my spouse. Hmm. I wanted to save my relationship and knew that coming out was the only option, but the fear of losing him was immense. One day, <coughs> one day I asked him to sit down and told him. His reaction was far better than I ex- ever expected. He was supportive and loving, and I felt like a huge weight had been lifted from my shoulders. Though, some, so, though sometime after we hit a rough patch again, and he told me how betrayed and angry he felt because I hadn't told him sooner. I took time and many painful con- it took time and many painful conversations but we were able to work through our difficulties through therapy and self-acceptance I have even been able to enjoy intimacy with him at least more than I used to and that has had a really positive effect on our relationship Lately I have tried to turn my pain into gain by helping other people in my situation and spreading awareness Doing this makes my life more meaningful in our support group we try to help people feel more hopeful about the future and support each other with our shared goal of living a happy and non-offending life. But it often feels like there isn't a place for us in society. Despite making a lot of progress, I'm still struggling with depression, anger, and frustration. Sometimes this sexuality feels like a cruel joke. It's painful enough just to live with this fucking attraction, mm-hmm. but all the hatred from society makes it much, much worse. Yep. Many people want us dead, even if we've never hurt anyone. Among us, we've made, among us, we've lost many people to suicide. I'm lucky to be able to see a therapist, but not everyone has that possibility. Most therapists aren't trained to work with minor attracted people, and that can cause major issues and misunderstandings. Some people get verbally abused or abandoned when they take the leap of faith and come out to their therapist. Some get unnecessarily reported to authorities because their therapist is panicked and overreacted. Yeah, just chiming in here. doesn't surprise me at all. It drives me crazy. This, like, knee-jerk reaction from therapists to be like, report it, report yeah. it, report it. It's like, don't you care about your fucking clients? And what a wonderful thing that a client has done by telling you that they're attracted to kids. Right. They've probably never told anyone, particularly a therapist, that before. And what a wonderful opportunity you have as the one person on the planet to actually help them with that so that they don't offend. Yeah. And your impulse is to call the cops? Yeah, we've talked what about... Are the cop, what are the cops going to do? Right. You know, even if the cops do something and lock him up for a couple of years, he's going to come out of prison. 
Do you think he's ever going to go back to therapy? Fuck no. Do you think he's going to be more likely to offend because he has no one to talk to? Fuck yes. And he'll have uh, some more traumatic things happen in prison and, and they'll be more skilled to be able to be like what you don't want these people to, to do. And yeah. I, I will say we've talked about this in the podcast before that um, this and a few other things are such taboos that it drives these folk into the ultimate underground. Um, and of course, yeah, I mean, so as I'm hearing this, I'm so elated, so so happy to hear that I, I didn't realize there were such support groups. And uh, it sounds like it's really helped um, this person because if you if you only demonize just even the thought, right, you're essentially doing thought policing and you're preventing the person from verbalizing anything. And so inevitably, it's going to lead to more repression, more, you know, feelings that you cannot handle. Uh, so although I cannot relate to, say, the feelings of attraction to a, to a minor, man, I'm very attracted to females. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before, but I am. And and it is sometimes to such a degree that it causes me um, difficulties, meaning... I, I at times can't concentrate. At times I can't, you know, just like focus on what I'm trying to do. Um, and over the years, I've had to learn to have little conversations with myself. Like, yes, she's very attractive. You just need to like stop obsessing about it and move on with your day. Because uh, I could easily see how if you just don't manage those obsessive thoughts, it could become all sorts of problems, you know. And for me, I don't know if it's a combination of like my abandonment issues for my mom and like the sexual abuse, whatever. Some combination of things makes it so that I have a hard time keeping focus and staying on track if there is someone in the vicinity that I find attractive. Yeah. Uh, and I can only imagine if on top of everything else, I wasn't ever even supposed to have those feelings, let alone act on them at all ever. Then it would feel like a real prison. Yeah. You know? And if you're made to feel shitty about yourself. Right. And you're ashamed and you have no one to talk to, you know, like you could be like, talk to your one of your buddies or your therapist and be like, right. man, I've, sometimes I have a really hard time controlling myself. Yeah. And, and, may, and when you make a mistake, because you've made mistakes. Right. You've hit on women who you shouldn't have hit on. Right. And they might even be upset with you and be like, hey, what are you doing? Well, when you wake up the next morning, you're like, you feel ashamed, but not a billion times ashamed. Imagine you lose control of pedophilia and you do something and the next morning you're you're just like, I need to kill myself. Well, without any way of processing those feelings, those emotions, talking about it, then you're much more likely to offend because – why it, it's when when you are demoralized and and you're thinking about killing yourself next week anyway? It's like, well, what's the diff? Right. So you need to help these pedophiles cope so that they can have the strength to enact their empathic urge of not harming children, which Patron Alexi obviously has. Yeah, he's not a sadist. He's not a psychopath. He cares about people and doesn't want to offend. He has this urge inside of him that is completely out of his control. And he describes it as, as so frustrating that he has that. Right. He hates it. Yeah. 
but he also recognizes that he can't get rid of it. And uh, in order for him to not offend, he has a therapist that understands him. Going on with his email, in the media, the words pedophile and molester are often used interchangeably. And informative articles about pedophilia and non-offending pedophiles are hard to come by. Fortunately, this is slowly beginning to change. Prevention projects that offer easily accessible therapy are slowly emerging around the world, and more and more therapists are getting the training they need to deal with these issues. But there is still a lot more work that needs to be done. Teenagers in the LGBTQ plus community have many positive role models that they can look up to, like openly gay politicians, musicians, and other celebrities. Pedophile teens don't have that (coughs) because coming out with this attraction would be social suicide and not many people are willing to take that risk. I wish, I really wish I had had someone to look up to growing up or even just someone positive to talk to. Too often, young pedophiles end up in toxic online communities and get brainwashed with harmful ideology. People tend to bond with whomever is willing to accept them. When you are desperate and alone, any support you receive feels intoxicating, and harmful ideologies can begin to feel appealing. I wish that society would be more open and willing to offer a safe and supportive place for people like me. I am feeling hopeful that in the future things will change for the better, and I want to be part of that change so that other people wouldn't have to go through as much confusion and pain as I had to go through. Berto, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I I applaud this. Um, obviously, it goes without saying, it should go without saying, that, uh, you know, children are, are very vulnerable, and so we have to protect them. Uh, but I don't think the right way to protect them is by pre- preemptively condemning everyone who's had these problems and these thoughts in their heads, because... That is, you know, the opposite of being able to help them not offend. <laughs> right. And so I, I think that this is absolutely right. Um, you're, I could see the point about not having an – imagine how incredible, yet in reality, how, how what would really happen to them. Imagine if all of a sudden 10 different celebrities came out <clears throat> saying, yeah, I've had feelings of attraction towards kids all my life or something like that. It, it would – it would not happen, you know, because like their careers would right. be over. Everything would. Right. Or, even or, if they've never done anything, you know. Right. Or imagine a fictional TV show where the actor isn't a pedophile, but they have a TV show where they depict a non-offending pedophile who is attracted to children. Right. But is absolutely not going to offend. Right. Like no one would ever make that show. The, yeah. the studio would get burned down. The yeah. actor would be shot and killed. Uh, and even though it's fiction, you know what I mean? Um, because our culture is ridiculous. We are stupid animals who have mush between our ears, and we can't understand things that are even slightly complex. And it drives me crazy. I mean, there's so many things like this, like um, asexuality freaks people out. It's like... Um, what do you mean you don't? Yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? You, you aren't attracted... Sexually to other people, like right. uh, something's something broken in you, or you don't, you've never been, you've never been fucked properly, or something. It's just like, um, how hard is it to just accept that some people they're asexual, big deal, or trans people? It's like, how hard is it to imagine? Oh, that person was 
born with the anatomy of this, but their inside gender is this. It's not complicated. Or polyamory. It's not complicated. Having kinks, you know, this person likes to be slapped around during sex, or this person likes to be, you know, tied up, or this person likes to fantasize about rape, but they would never do that. It's not hard to imagine. Or age difference in relationship, you know, uh, a 60-year-old can date a 30-year-old. There's no empirical science that shows that that's dysfunctional. It's not a big fucking deal. Why does everything have to fit into your tiny little fucking boxes? And being a pedophile who has empathy and doesn't want to offend and never offends. And something that this guy actually even said over his email was like, I I can't remember exactly what he said, but, or the website, maybe I'm mixing up with the website. Yeah, the website actually went to the website. On the website, it said something like, uh, we suspect or it was a passing comment that most pedophiles never offend. And that was an interesting concept. And they, they of course don't know because there's no research in this area or very little anyway. And also it's impossible to study because you'd have to send a survey out online and say, you know, are you a pedophile and have you offended? Two questions that there's a lot of reasons to lie about. Um, But I was wondering about that. You know, I was wondering like, because prior to that, reading that comment on that website, I, I just thought like, well, t- 10 years ago, I would have said, well, every pedophile has offended. And then more recently, I was like, huh, there are these there are these people who are pedophiles and they don't offend. And in my head, I was like, they're the minority. But how do we know that? Yeah. It's possible that of the people, because even if you you're sort of ambivalent about caring about kids, you don't want to incur the social wrath and the criminal wrath that will happen if you get caught, right? So some people, even if they don't care, they're not they're prob- they're going to resist offending at first because they don't want negative consequences. So it makes me wonder. It's like, huh? I wonder if the majority of pedophiles actually never offend, partially either because they have empathy or because they just don't want to get in trouble. And how interesting that would be if we knew the answer to that question. Totally, because I could see that because. Uh, I remember reading somewhere, and I forget the exact number, but it was something like the average uh, predator will abuse hundreds, you know, one or 200, 300 people before they're caught. Oh, my God. So that means that, you know, the average perpetrator abuses so many people because they they cross that line at some point or they're psychopathic and they don't care. Right. Um, The other thing to point out is that many people who molest children are not pedophiles. You know, a pe- pedophilia sure. is being attracted. Tra- they might not be attracted to the children, but right. they're sadists. And- yeah, or psychopathic. Yeah. They, they want to harm someone. They want to overpower. Sure. And they just, they do it in a number of ways, including sexually with children. And so that's just another distinction to play out. Right. Like a lot of times the kinds of pedophiles that we're thinking about, uh, quote unquote, or, you know, pedophilic child molesters, they might not even be attracted to kids. And... um so that's just another thing to think about. I was thinking that the same reasons that make it so that we need to be empathetic to the plight of these folk that have these desires that they can't act on, that they don't want to act on, but that they're always there, are the same, a lot of the same problems why society has such a hard time with this. Because, you know, humans don't really get to choose so much about what they feel and don't feel. Uh, and so, you know, let's say you, you are anti-gay, for example. And like, well, why are you anti-gay? Well, I just, I am very religious and this is the way I was brought up. 
that's not a superficial decision for that person. These are some deep-rooted feelings inside of their mind and body that 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 to extricate will take a whole journey, you know. Um, so it's it's actually not easy, as frustrating as it is, to tell us like we just got to get over this, you know. We got to accept these things. We got to, um, you know, especially when for multiple generations. Uh, things weren't a certain way and all of a sudden things seem to have changed and then people are like, wait, what? What's going on? That's not the way my parents did it. That's not the way my grandparents did it. As far as I know, that's not the way anyone did it in my family. You know, these kinds of things. Uh, and these are very deep-rooted feelings. So it, it, it's really difficult. Yeah, You can't just logic someone into being, you know, being a certain way. I think you can. But like, think about it. Like, when someone says, "I mean, I th- I think it's possible. I, it obviously doesn't happen very often." Yeah, when someone says, "I hate you know blah race," for example, um, I mean that is a layered set of things that cause that feeling in their in their mind that you're not going to simply turn off just by saying, "Hey, man, we all got to get along." Yeah, you know? <laughs> but I, you know, I always use myself as an example because I grew up essentially homophobic <coughs> and, and then at the very first instance and I remember this happening when I met a gay person within three seconds all of that uh, had a, that sort of not all but it, all the conscious heterosexism and homophobia went away right but uh, you're, you're someone who grew up mostly homophobic but had a ton of other tools given to you that made it possible for you to recognize in that moment that maybe through selfish empathy of your surroundings, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, right, right, right. What do you mean? Uh, I did? Yeah. Whereas a lot of other people don't have those tools. When did I get those tools, though? Is your it... parents, your environment growing up, I your, your so. siblings, your maybe, family. Yeah. Yeah. Your, maybe. You know. yeah. So the other thing I'll say to this is I get why people are triggered by this. You know, if you've been abused... And it would make sense that you would have some very complicated feelings about these so-called non-offending pedophiles. Right. But, so you're, you're entitled to your feelings. It makes sense that you would accomplish it. But in the end, you're cognitively speaking, when you actually start to make some decisions about your attitudes, if you hate this man, this non-offending pedophile, it's essentially the same as racism or sexism. It'd be like hating all men because your father abused you or hating all women because your mother abandoned you or hating all gay men because a gay man raped you. You know, you can hate the people who abused you. Absolutely. You can even hate people that are like that, but you can't hate all people like that. That's, that's, you know, that's, an, that's one of the isms. And I, we don't have an ism for this particular because we don't have a word for the opposite of pedophilia, as far yeah. as I know. Um, and so we don't have a word for it, but to treat every pedophile as if they're a low-life, degenerate, evil abuser is prejudice. It, and then to marginalize those innocent individuals to that level is absolutely unfair and against every value in the American Constitution that has taken us so long to actually figure out how to, you know, make more perfect and, uh, you know, enact and concretize in our actual society. It's against the American way. It's against 
every moral, you know, Catholics, a Catholic priest would agree that, uh, well, maybe that's a bad example, but, you know, people who hold empathy and compassion as a major, uh, you know, humanists, for example, um, as a major value uh, will agree that, well, if they're, if they haven't hurt anyone and they're suffering and they have urges to hurt people, but they're not hurting anyone, then they absolutely deserve our sympathy and they absolutely, and they don't deserve to be ostracized and killed and lynched and pushed aside and, um, you know, experience prejudice. So, uh, but I get why it starts that way. You know, if you've been harmed, then, you know, I get the impulse, but we have to look past the impulse. You know, when, uh, when you're 12 and you see a, and you're a white person, you grow up in suburbia with not a lot of black people and you go to the big city and you see a black person, I get the impulse of clutching your purse or walking on the other side of the um, sidewalk. You know, I get that urge. You have you look at that black person and you think, oh, criminal, better clutch my purse, better walk on the other side. You know, I get that urge. There's nothing wrong with that urge. You can't help having that urge. But to then give in to that urge and go like, yep, all black people are going to steal my purse, so I'm actually going to clutch my purse, assume that it's right, that my urge is right, and da-da-da, you know. Uh, so, you know, I get the feeling that you get of just like pedophiles make me feel bad. Right. I get that. But they make me feel bad, too. But to then extend that into anyone who is attracted to children is therefore evil and needs to be thrown in jail and put on an island and killed is just just like racism and sexism. Yeah. And, and part of it, I think, is because since there isn't a societal structure to to deal with this. Here's an extreme example. Imagine that someone had an intense... Uh, we, we're, we live in a society where in the middle of the town square, there is a button. If you press this button, the whole society dies. Okay, So everyone grows up knowing you know you don't press that button. Okay, But some people, for whatever reason, grow up having an intense desire to press that button. Now, if we know about it, then we as a society probably are going to need to take steps to guarantee that they will never press that button, no matter how intensely they desire to do so. Because if they do, it's a one-time shot, we're done. So what would we do? I don't know, but we'd have to do something. Okay. Well, that structure that we would put in place would be to prevent the... We wouldn't say, hey, you're bad for thinking this. We would just say, well, we don't want you to press the button, so we're going to put some structure in place. Uh, maybe fingerprint recognition, who knows, whatever. In, in our normal society... What happens is there is no structure to deal with pedophile thoughts and impulses at all. Right. So as a normie, as a normal person out there in the in the world, we probably feel instinctively like, oh, well, we don't do this math literally, but quickly our head goes, oh, since there is no societal structure, this person is likely going to offend and we can't have that because kids are precious. So therefore, I have to hate and pre- uh, you know, pre-castigate and basically move these people out of the, the way. Uh, and so it's it's a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling thing because right. there is no structure. Right. Yeah. Uh, that analogy is good uh, to the button. It's like, so in, in that society, if you made all thoughts of pressing the button illegal right. and criminal and 
ostracizable and you know prejudicial, then those random people who happen to have that thought are not going to reach out for help about it. And one of those people is going to, because of their shame and because they have no help with their emotions and their urges, they're going to press that button there and kill us all. Yeah. And that's what's happening right now. Yep. It's like, and I want to draw this connection very clear because Berto's analogy is good. Because when we have a society that ostracizes all pedophiles, all people who are sexually attracted to children, we are part of the problem. Right. We are creating a circumstance that doesn't allow them to get help, that makes them feel shitty about themselves. You know, patron Alexi who wrote in, I hope people can understand, this is a good person. Yeah. He's a regular guy who has something wrong with him. There's something wrong and deviant about his attraction. He'll admit that. There's something deeply wrong with being attracted to kids um, in terms of like the natural order of things, yeah. shall we say. It just like, um, just like if... If I have an illness, like you couldn't, you know, let's say I have lung cancer because I, I smoked or whatever reason, you wouldn't call that good. Like, right. oh yeah, it's good. You have no. It's like, well, no, that's wrong. Well, maybe even at a better analogy, even is, though it's natural, <laughs> is HIV. Yeah. So yeah. You, there's something wrong with yeah. you that you have HIV, and you're contagious under certain circumstances. Right. But if we, as we did in the past, ostracize you. Right. And call you a you know a sinner or a slut or something, then the next people who get diagnosed with HIV or, or wonder if they have HIV will not actually come out and say it, and they right. won't get help for it. Imagine if this is actually a, a, another good uh, analogy is, if I might say so myself, is imagine if we outlawed HIV and no physicians actually helped people with HIV. You as you know. We just had this prejudice of like people who have HIV are bad. Right. They're evil. They're lepers. They need to be rejected. They don't even deserve our medical or psychological treatment. That's how it started. <laughs> right. And we're just like, they're disgusting. Right. Uh, do not, you know, never treat them. Report them to the police. If someone comes to your office and says, right. I have HIV, call the cops right away. Because they're probably trying to spread it. Um, yeah. Or there's something wrong with them. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Well, obviously, no one with HIV or who suspects they have HIV are going to go to a physician. Guess what happens? They're going to—they're much more likely to spread the HIV, of course, because one, they're not getting treated; two, they—they they have no way of coping. They, you know, there's just there's no information on how to prevent the right. spread of it. Um, even for those vast majority of HIV people, now occasionally there are sadistic HIV people. And psychopathic age, and we hear those stories right. where they actually purposely, even they knew they had HIV, they purposely had sex with a bunch of people because they actually wanted to spread the disease. There are cases like that. Are does is everyone who has HIV like that? No, no. Is everyone who is attracted to kids want to harm kids? No. no. Of course, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's it. There's a percentage there, and so we can't just reject all of them and. We're creating a problem for ourselves, and we're part of the issue. You know, if we want people to stop going, if, if we want mass shootings to stop, which obviously we do, then we need to stop fucking glorifying the shooter on the news. We cannot talk about his name. We cannot talk about uh, their their reason and, and their suicide note and their their manifesto. We cannot report those things because the next person that comes along is like, huh, I'm a bit suicidal. I want to make people pay. 
I want the entire world to know my story. If I kill a bunch of people, you know, if I don't kill a bunch of people, I'm just going to die alone. <clears throat> no one will hear my story, and I'll, I'll never get the revenge I seek. But we do do that. We do report the name. We do print the manifesto. We do talk about uh, what's happening. We do post his social media posts and all that stuff. And we're part of the problem. And we know what to do, or at least the experts know what to do. And we're not doing anything about it. Imagine if we flipped the script. Imagine if there was a system where if you're a disenfranchised teen or someone who's angry at some of your classmates or 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 people around you or whatever um you can get famous by talking about it like we'll interview you we'll we'll highlight the um the downsides of your school you know we will help you get recognized for what you're good at what you want to do um we'll let you talk and vent and 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 can i express your feelings instead of Wait until you kill someone, and then, and then we talk about you. Right. You know. Right. How about we actually listen to teens who are suffering, or reach out to them? Yeah. That kind of. So going to the uh, virtuous pedophile uh, uh, website. It's called verped.org, and there's some quotes from some of the members on the site. I am in my late 20s and have been dealing with unwanted attraction to young boys since I was a teenager. Though I have never acted on these attractions with anyone, this is my primary sexual attraction and it bothers me greatly. I have considered suicide many times. Another person. Wow. I'm a 27-year-old male attracted to boys only, ages 3 to teens. I am attracted to men too. I live as a gay man and never have acted on my pedophilia, and never will. Next person. Wow. I'm a 21-year-old pedophile and was very happy to hear that there was finally an organization out there to support pedophiles that is completely against having sex with children. Because, you know, right. there are organizations on the of internet that, are, that are, try to justify. NAMBLA or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what does NAMBLA stand for? Uh, North American Marlon Brando Association, according to South Park. Man, man, boy, love. Association. Yeah, what does it really stand for? Man, boy, love. North America, man, boy, love association. Uh, uh, and the last quote here: I am completely against child abuse in any form, and would like to add to your numbers. Uh, so there's a lot of people on this site that are like, I've never acted on my impulse. I never will. Because it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it, the the way that they talk so casually, I guess, for lack of a better term, about <laughs> it, reminds me of other kinds of things that I think people can relate to. Of just like, I have a fantasy about being raped, yeah, but I'm never going to act on it. Right. Or I have a fantasy about having sex with, you know, the president in the Oval Office. But I'm not going to ask him or her to have sex with me in the Oval Office. Or I have a fantasy about having sex with my boss yeah. or my best friend's boyfriend. But I'm never going to hit on them. It's, yeah. you know, it's, I, I, but it's an intense fantasy that I have. Or other things that are real, like, like uh, meaning more daily, like things like I, I often, when I walk by a woman, I just, there's an intense desire to grab her breasts or something. 
but I and I know I can't. But it's really hard for me. You know, like these things. Well, people. Not only with do this. you know you can't, or why can't you? I guess. Is the well, word. you used to be able to, and then now we had problems with people realizing. Oh wait, I'm not supposed to be able to do that kind well, of stuff. And you have empathy. You don't want to harm another human right. being. So the right. So everyday kinds of impulses of. Or I have an impulse to... Shoplifting. Yeah. Any number of things. Or I have an impulse to push that kid into the gutter because sure. the, the kid annoys me. But I'm, I'm, I'm never going to push that kid into the gutter right. because I have emotions and empathy and yeah. uh, I, 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 I know better. And But yeah, it's it's a mild sort of passing thought. And sometimes, you know, it can be quite intense. Um, so, uh, but, you know, again, more specifically related are sexual fantasies of things you masturbate to right. that or think about while you're having sex with your partner. Um, you probably everyone listening out there, according to my experience anyway, you got something in there that's weird. You know, you got a weird one in there and you probably uh, would never actually want that to be enacted. Uh, you know, some people have a fantasy about their partner having sex with someone else. Right. Um, and for many of those people, they're like, well, I would never want my partner to have sex with someone else because that, right. would, that would be complicated. But it's just like the fantasy. But it's my fantasy, and it really gets me off in the moment. And uh, so with pedophilia, it could be the same thing. It, it's hard to phrase it that way because it's, it's – a it's if it, you know if you acted on your cuckoldry, then – and it's consensual, then there's no harm. If you right. act on your pedophilia, that, and that's the big kicker there. You know, if, if you have a, a lot of sexual fantasies, most people understand if you did enact them, aren't problematic to anybody. Right. Like for me, like I've always had this thing for like doing my thing with a watermelon while you smash your guitar on my head from behind. Mm-hmm. But what are you never doing? I don't understand. What are you doing with the watermelon exactly? You know, like American Pie style. But but I would never do that because your guitar is very nice. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want that. Right. So uh, you understand that you don't want to break my guitar. And thank you for that. Because of empathy. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to get, you know. Watermelon pieces all over the guitar that's broken. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the, again, I just want to read one of these statements again. Um, I'm 27-year-old male attracted to boys ages 3 to teens. So just sort of let that sink in. This is someone who's 27 years old admitting that he or she is attracted to uh, boys who are ages 3 years old. Right. This person wants to have sex with a 3-year-old. I'm also attracted to adult men. I live as a gay man and never have acted on my pedophilia and never will. So let that sink in of just the, here's a person and the person who wrote in Patreon Alexi, I know that I'm attracted to children. I've never acted on it and I never will. And th- the language that these people use is they're like, I'm positive I won't. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with right. following this moral compass of mine. Um, I've and I've never had an issue with that. I've I've never had like oh my god, you know I'm I'm reaching out to grab them. I need to stop. You know they've never had that issue. It's it's always been just in their head. And although there has been fantasies about doing stuff, they've never been. You know they very quickly would be like no. I mean of course I'm, I can't actually. That's awful. I can't actually harm. That would, it's very harmful to them. So 
it's just so interesting. I don't think I've ever really sort of absorbed those kinds of stories about people. So to close up here are, you know, sometimes people want to know the cause of these kind of, of pedophilia. And the fact is, is we don't know. Uh, we don't know why we're heterosexual or why we're trans or why we're homosexual. Right. There's just no scientific technology that provides us even the ability to begin to quantify such an answer. But the general consensus, and I follow this, is that it's part genetic and part experience. So it's possible that your experience, your history, affects one's sexual development. Uh, the person who wrote in, patron Lexi, he was bullied. He dated an older person when he was a young teen. He had mental issues, anxiety and depression, and he was very shy. Yeah. And just just take the bullying as one thing. It's very possible, again, there's no way to prove this, but it, it seems to bear out when I actually talk to people, is let's say you're 12 and you're, or 10 and you're developing your sexuality and you're kind of an open slate at that point. You're a blank slate. Right. And you're being bullied at school you're being, and you're being beat. You know, people are hitting you and, and hurting you. Maybe even they're grabbing your genitalia because that'll happen in bullying as well sometimes. Or they're calling you gay or whatever. Right. And in the moment, uh, you have a sexual charge of some kind that's very confusing in the moment. Uh-huh. And it's in relation to your own body. It's in relation to like um, – as they're beating me, which is awful and feels very traumatic and very awful, I'm actually a little turned on by the way my body looks in this moment. Mm. Um, and you're looking at your body, and it's a young person's body. And then that sexual charge in this weird way locks in what you're attracted to, which is younger bodies. I see. And then you are become an adult, and you, you retain that in your adulthood. Um, another path is that you are very anxious and shy, as he said, around people. And so you develop this notion of like, people my age are dangerous. Right. Because when I try to socialize, really bad things happen. And then you start to emerge sexually. So sexual uh, urges start to kind of occur as you end, you know, move into puberty. And your brain, under normal circumstances, would start looking towards people your own age mm-hmm. and, and older. And you'd be like, ooh, sexual urge, point it towards, right. you know, Jenny or Johnny that's across the classroom. Right. But because you're so shy, because you've been bullied, and because you, you have so many ill associations with people your own age, your, your mind instantly turns that off and your brain starts to go, well, where can we point this? Right. Well, I've always felt very comfortable with people who are younger than me. And a lot of people who suffer from social problems uh, feel way more comfortable with people five, ten years younger than them. And in a lot of circumstances, we don't pathologize that. You know, I used to work with <coughs> kids who, uh, we it was, a, it was a frequent conceptualization upon observation was, well, you know, Jenny does not do well with people her own age, but man, does she work really well with kids five years younger than her. Right. And when she babysits or when she plays with those kids, She's involved. She's a good leader. She's very kind. And she seems like in her own element. And she's a little immature. And she likes to play with, uh, you know, seven-year-old toys as opposed to 12-year-old toys. And and fellow 12-year-olds really freak her out. So we should actually facilitate that. We would actually facilitate her ability to play with seven-year-olds as opposed to other 12-year-olds. So you could imagine that, okay, I'm sexually attracted. I can't go for people my own age because they scare me. What if... 
and this is all subconscious, my energies went towards younger people because I am, I am, you know, um, uh, comfortable with that group. And then that association begins of sexual charge, turn on with a younger person, and you retain that into adulthood. Again, this is all psychobabble, spe- sure. speculation, but it stands to reason. Right. Um, now, so that's experience, and it appears that it could be genetic too. Like not only the genes for wanting to have sex with children, but also like genes that lay the groundwork for that to happen. Like you are genetically very sensitive, which makes you more shy, which mm-hmm. makes you more likely to have problems with social relationships with people your own age, which makes you more likely to develop that type of pedophilia. Sure. So there's a lot of different genes, so to speak, that could play into the development of pedophilia later in life. Yep. So one one thing that came to mind was uh, this would obviously be very difficult because of the way our culture is now. Uh, but, you know, let's say that you struggle with alcoholism and you come over to my house and I don't know this. So I'm offering you drink after drink after drink. Later, I find out, oh, my gosh, Kirk's in the hospital. It's like, why? Well, I guess he went on a huge alcoholic bender. He's an alcoholic. I'm like, oh, no. When did this start? The other night. It's like, oh, he was at my house that night. I gave him like tons of alcohol. Oh, that sucks. You didn't know he was. No, I didn't know. I just, you know, is it my fault? No, I mean, he's the alcoholic and he could have said no, but man, I wish I would have known. Right. Okay. So Bob comes over to my house and I don't know that he's a pedophile by feeling. Maybe he's never acted on it, but he feels that way and he's attracted to young kids. And I have a young kid. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to the store for an hour. So, hey, can you watch little Timmy? Sure. And I go. And unfortunately, little Timmy gets molested by by Bob. Now, is it my fault for leaving little Timmy? No. Is it Timmy's fault? Well, of course not. It's Bob's fault, right? But man, I would have really have liked to know. And in a society where instead of him saying, hey, by the way, just, you know, I am a pedophile, I go, oh, my God, call the authorities, call the cops, burn you alive. Instead, I'm like, oh, thank you for letting me know. Okay, cool. Mental note. I'm not going to leave Timmy with you, but that's great. Right. Yeah. So DSM-5, we have pedophilic disorder. And it's interesting because the DSM in this instance, actually, I think um, it has, has a good a set of criteria. The main two are you, one, have intense arousing fantasies, sexual urges, and behaviors involving sexual activity with a child. Makes sense. But two, you also have to have that they acted on the urge okay. or the urge ca- causes problems. <coughs> Excuse me. Or the urge causes problems. Right. So, <clears throat> so for patron Alexi, it's possible that he doesn't actually suffer from pedophilic disorder because he meets criteria one. He has intense arousing fantasies about kids. But two, he's never acted on it. And as long as it doesn't cause him problems in his life. Which sounded like it had been. But, yeah. Uh, and then he, he started getting some help through therapy. It, and through. But the thing is, and this is part of the DSM that bothers yeah. me. If those problems are derived from marginalization and prejudice, then that's not your problem. That's society's problem. Mm. You know, you can't have a problem with being black 
because you being black causes problems because of, <laughs> because of prejudice. We don't I call see. that black disorder. That's a problem with society. I see. So um, now the sort of problems that would, in my mind, justify uh, this criteria being endorsed would be the criterion for being endorsed is that if – the problems were like the, the the arousal and the fantasies were so intense that you were doing very elaborate kind of things to to stop yourself from the compulsion, and the compulsion was extremely strong, and your defenses against it were extremely strong, and you had to uh, I don't know I don't know what you would do, but very elaborate things. Well, that'd be a problem. Yeah, you know, it's the same when it comes to like a betting problem or an alcohol problem. You can have a problem with alcohol without drinking alcohol if your compulsion to do it is so strong that it creates all these other problems for you. Right. We would still label you as having some sort of disorder. So if as long as the urges don't cause problems in those ways and as long as you've never acted on it, then you actually don't technically suffer from pedophilic disorder, uh-huh. which is interesting. That is interesting. Um, now, to close here, just talking about treatment – you know what therapists can do and and what they actually do the experts do is basically just that, as you described you need a uh, we need to give the place a safe place to talk and right. about it that's that's a big thing we also need to help them have self compassion to end the self hatred because the shame and the self hatred will lead to lesser capacity to control one's behavior three you need to instill optimism and, and hope you need to say, right. look, go to this website, learn that there's a path forward. You can live a good life and never harm anyone. And, you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with society. But, you know, there's ways of dealing with that, too. Right. Because if someone has no hope and they have all pessimism, then it's like, why should I continue trying to control this? Right, right, right. So uh, dead end. They'll... And then a key here is self-control. So for some people, you need to te- you need to teach them how to control themselves, right? How to manage their you know their impulses. Another thing is trigger management. A lot of people will know that they have triggers for things, and I think this is pretty understandable in other arenas. Like if you suffer from alcoholism and you get fired from a job, or you get or your spouse comes home from work and says they've been cheating on you, then you know that that is a vulnerable moment that you might start drinking and so in those moments you have to have elaborate safety controls like i talk to my sponsor or whatever that manage that trigger so that you don't actually drink right um other kinds of things like i i'm trying to um i don't know like uh just manage some other kind of sort of impulse that you have well you need trigger management and the last thing is for the therapist to work with the client on healthy alternatives, finding a way to make adult sex more gratifying, which is what right. patron Alexi has been doing. He's like, through my therapy, I'm actually able to enjoy sex with my adult male partner better uh, so, because now I can get my sexual needs met uh, in a way that I never could before. Yeah. And so we need to be doing this for people. And there are experts out there that are doing this. And, uh, you know, sex therapists are on the cutting edge of this sort of thing. We have a sex therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle, and they are pro- they are promoting ideas like this. But man, are they few and far between? Sure, and they certainly haven't permeated to society. Final word, Berto. 
Yeah, this is a fascinating topic, very taboo, but I, I cannot agree more that the, 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 the more that we shine a light on it and we make it okay to discuss, um, by the way, even, this, this is the really hard part, even for people that have offended, that have done something to a child, uh, because these things don't go away magically. They only get worse if, if we deal with them like this. Uh, and we, I think most of us can agree that we don't want any child harmed in this process. The ones that don't agree are the ones that have other problems that are sadistic and psychopaths and things like this. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that we, we need to do a better job as a society on this, have these support structures, and um, and you know, and then at the same time encourage those of us that have thoughts that could get problematic uh, to talk about it and disclose, even if it is painful and if it is risky. Right. Yeah, our society, we tend to have what I would characterize as a very childish approach to this sort of thing. Right. It's like, you know, I don't like broccoli. I wish it would go to hell. You know, it's a very childish way of looking at things. I don't like uh, taking a bath, so I'm not going to do it. You know, we, we or I don't like grandma, so I don't want to see her. You know, right. it's it's these very childish, which is fine when you're a child, uh, but we can't do that as a society with things like this. We can't be. Like, I don't like pedophilia, so I'm just I just want it to go away. Right. You know, I wish they all just fall off a cliff. It's like okay. Thank you for your three-year-old <laughs> reactivity. Yeah. Now, let's look at the science. Let's yeah. talk to the experts. And let's figure out how we're all going to work together to reduce the chance that our right. children are actually going to be harmed. You know, right. if you truly cared about your children, you would accept that there are non-offending pedophiles right. who actually, as you point out, might have offended in the past, but they've turned a new leaf and they don't want to offend anymore. And we have to accept that, that that's a thing. And we have to reach out to them and, and welcome them, welcome right. them into our society, hold them up on a pedestal. We need, with patron Alexi, who has never harmed anyone, we need, he's a hero. We need to right. hold him up and say, what a heroic figure for someone who has this condition and as a society, we aren't do doing hardly anything to help you with. Right. And you managed to not harm people. What a good human being you are. You know, the rest of us, we don't even suffer from that urge. Right. And, and yet we do shitty things sometimes. And what a good person you are. You are a hero. And, you know, <laughs> yep. we're very far from that. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 